I knew it. I knew it. Trump just killed the border bill. I told you he was going to do that. I don't usually get things right. This one, <laughs> I told you he was going to kill the border bill in the service of Vladimir Putin. I'll explain why later. But he looks like he's going to kill the border bill. This is the mop-up for January 26, 2024. Thank you so much for finding me this morning. I'm David Feldman. Please like this episode and share it so I remain in your feed. This is Alabama Republican Governor Kay Ivey. She's pro-life, but not on Thursday. The state of Alabama killed death row inmate Kenneth Smith using nitrogen gas, a brand new form of capital punishment. Now, in 2022, Alabama corrections officials attempted to execute Smith by trying to inject a more traditional death serum into his arm, but it being Alabama, they couldn't find his vein. After the botched execution, his lawyers appealed his death sentence to the Supreme Court, saying attempting to put, attempting to pull it off again would constitute cruel and inhumane punishment. But on Thursday morning, the Supreme Court refused to reverse the sentence, and now he's dead. His final words were, tonight, Alabama causes humanity to take a step backward. Then Smith spoke to those who try to block his execution by saying, quote, humanity rose up. I am leaving with love, peace and light. I love you. Thank you for supporting me. I love all of you. Using nitrogen for the first time in the United States, the Alabama Solicitor General called it the most humane form of capital punishment ever invented. Yeah. Witnesses to the execution say when the gas mask was applied, Smith began writhing and kicking for up to four minutes. But we were told by the Solicitor General of Alabama that Smith would pass out within 45 seconds. Then, after writhing for four minutes, Smith spent five minutes struggling to breathe. The most humane form of capital punishment ever invented. It's amazing what people are willing to say, do, or in Alabama, Governor Kay Ivey's case, not do. You could have stopped this, Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama, but you didn't. Smith was found guilty of a murder back in 1988. The jury recommended life in prison, but the judge overruled them and sentenced him to death. Like I said, Governor Kay Ivey says she's pro-life. In June of 2022, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, leaving it up to the states to decide when or if a woman can gain access to an abortion. Scientific America reports this morning that since the Dobbs decision between July 1st, 2022 and January 1st, 2024, in states where abortion has been banned entirely or allowed with rare exceptions, 64,000 women became pregnant from a rape. According to the Journal of American Medicine, late Wednesday night, the Journal of American Medicine came out with this. Texas saw as many as 26,000 rape pregnancies during that time period alone. Roe was overturned by three judges who were appointed to the Supreme Court by Donald Trump. I'll have more about Donald Trump's testimony in the E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit where a jury has already found Trump guilty of rape later on in this episode. Last week, I told you that Republicans can't do a border bill because Donald Trump needs a phony crisis to run on against Joe Biden. Last week, I told you that Troy Nels, the Texas Trump supplicant in the House, let slip that he would never vote for the border bill because passing it now would be good for Joe Biden and bad for Donald Trump. Last week, I told you Trump was calling the shots behind the scenes, warning Speaker Mike Johnson he would be very disappointed if Johnson worked out a deal to pass Joe Biden's emergency supplemental for Ukraine, Israel, and the border. 
And now it's all out in the open this morning. The much anticipated border bill Republicans insist upon in order to approve funding for Ukraine looks like it's going to be scrapped all because Donald Trump killed it. Punchbowl reports that in a private meeting with Senate Republicans yesterday, Mitch McConnell, the minority leader, told his caucus that the prospect for a border bill this year has dimmed now that Donald Trump is the presumptive nominee. Mitch McConnell reportedly told the senators that Trump is planning to run his entire campaign on the border crisis. McConnell added, quote, we don't want to do anything to undermine him. In other words, this imaginary crisis at the border is so bad, so dangerous, we can't do anything to solve it because it would jeopardize Trump's chances in November. So that means no border bill, which was supposed to be tied to the Ukraine supplemental. And that means no funding for Zelensky. And who does that benefit? You guessed it, Vladimir Putin. And yet, so many of my listeners complain when I talk about Russiagate. They say Russiagate was a made-up excuse for Hillary losing in 2016. Well, anybody on the left who still insists Vladimir Putin doesn't hold sway over Donald Trump and House Republicans never read the Mueller report and is paying zero attention to the politics of this Ukraine supplemental. Way too many Republicans right now are using the border as an excuse not to fund the war against Putin. Then again, in all fairness, it was Joe Biden's idea to tie the Ukraine supplemental to the border. He came up with this nugget over the summer. This was one of his master of the Senate moves where he try to move three steps ahead, thought he could soften the Ukraine bill by offering an olive branch to the Republicans by throwing some money at the border. I doubt Republicans would have ever dreamed this up, tying the Ukraine supplemental to the border. But Biden gave it to them and they used it as leverage to kill Ukraine funding. Throughout the negotiations on the supplemental, Joe Biden has been dealing primarily with Mitch McConnell. He's the Senate minority leader who has been quite vocal about his support for funding Ukraine. But Biden and McConnell have been unable to deal with the recalcitrant Republicans in the House who are completely in the thrall of Donald Trump, who is completely in the thrall of Vladimir Putin. Republican Senator Todd Young of Indiana said last night coyly, gee, I hope no one is trying to take this border bill away for campaign purposes. That's a Republican Senator, Todd Young. But Mitt Romney, who voted to convict Trump in both impeachment proceedings, laid it all out on the table late Thursday and said, quote, I think the border is a very important issue for Donald Trump and the fact that he would communicate to Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame Biden for it is really appalling. Yeah. Yeah. Romney added that Trump instructed Republicans, quote, hey, save that problem. Don't solve it. Let me take credit for solving it later. Yeah, the same way Trump solved the border problem by building that big, beautiful wall during his first four years in office. Did I say border problem? It's not a problem. All we need to do is just hire more immigration judges and process these people. That's all it is. Gallup polling says this morning that Joe Biden's approval rating averaged 39.8%. 8% during all of 2023. That's the second worst approval rating for a president three years into their term. He's right behind Jimmy Carter. We are seeing Carter levels here. Donald Trump, Barack Obama, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, and Richard Nixon all averaged below 50% approval ratings three years into their presidencies. All but one went on to get reelected. The one who didn't get reelected was Donald Trump. 
it's not unusual for presidents to have low approval ratings, especially now when Americans just hate everyone and everything that's going on in Washington. Since Biden took office, economists have been telling us he was going to crash the economy with his major spending bills. But 2023's fourth quarter GDP was released yesterday, and our economy grew, grew by 3.3%. No recession. That number following a blowout third quarter where the economy grew by more than 5%. That brings 2023's GDP to a 3.1% rate of growth more than any year Trump was president before COVID. Before COVID, Trump never came close. And then, of course, he crapped the bed on COVID and crashed the economy. Bloomberg reports that median rents across the country went down for the eighth month in a row in December. The Financial Times reports that new data out Thursday says consumer prices only rose 1.7% in 2023's fourth quarter, down from 2.6% in the third quarter. The Financial Times also reports that a Pew Research survey shows that 28% of Americans describe the economy as good or excellent. Back in April, that number was only 19%. As the year progresses, Americans will pay attention to how things really are, at least on paper. The S&P 500 scored another record high on Thursday as Joe Biden hit the campaign trail unveiling another $5 billion in infrastructure spending for dozens of projects, including a major bridge linking Wisconsin to Minnesota. All that money comes from his bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed back in 2022, and we were told it was going to be inflationary. Biden has bragging rights, able to say he created more jobs than any president in American history while growing the economy Quickly and fairly, quickly and fairly. Not only that, Biden made a promise to grow this economy from the bottom up and all leading indicators show that for the first time in decades, wage growth is keeping up with inflation across all demographics, including women, blacks, Latinos and people with disabilities. For the first time in decades, union membership is creeping up, which is why Sean Fain, the head of the United Auto Workers, endorsed Joe Biden this week for president, calling Donald Trump a scab. Remember when Donald Trump flew to Detroit and addressed a bunch of scabs during the strike, trying to get them to vote for him? During his speech in Washington, D.C., UAW President Sean Fain said, quote, Donald Trump is a billionaire, and that's who he represents. If Donald Trump ever worked in an auto plant, he wouldn't be a UAW member. He'd be a company man trying to squeeze the American worker, unquote. During last year's UAW strike, Joe Biden marched with workers in Detroit, becoming the first president in history ever to join striking workers. Let's look at the race for the Republican nomination, where Donald Trump has 32 delegates. Nikki Haley has 17. They need 1,215 to be nominated. Next up are the Nevada caucuses, and then it's on to South Carolina, where Nikki Haley once served as governor. Republican National Committee Chair Rona McDaniel said Nikki Haley doesn't stand a chance of winning the nomination, insisting the math just isn't there. The Republican Party offered to declare Trump as the official presumptive nominee on Thursday, but Trump turned down the offer. Trump took to social media saying he wants the primary process to continue and wants to win it the old-fashioned way by terrorizing those in his immediate circle who challenge him. Reuters reports that close allies to Trump are urging him to pick a woman or black man as his running mate. Reuters says the three women topping that list are South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, and Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. The black men are Dr. Ben Carson, 
Trump's former Housing and Urban Development Secretary and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Tim Scott stood behind Trump Tuesday night during Trump's victory speech, where Trump personally attacked Nikki Haley for staying in the race. Haley, as governor of South Carolina, initially appointed Scott to be senator in 2012 after Republican Jim DeMint left the Senate to head the ultra-right-wing odious Heritage Foundation. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott said now is the time for the entire party to coalesce around Donald Trump. The New York Times reports that Nikki Haley's top super PAC raised more than $50 million in the second half of 2023, far more than Donald Trump's super PAC did. Smart money, if you want to call it that, knows that any cash donated to Donald Trump goes directly into his pocket or his legal bills and not towards winning the nomination. Trump's super PAC brought in $46 million during the second half of 2023, mostly small donors who are incredibly ignorant. Trump, meanwhile, is warning anyone who continues to donate to Nikki Haley will, quote, be barred from the MAGA camp, unquote. Liz Cheney is urging Nikki Haley to stay in the race. Cheney admitted Haley's chances are slim, but said Americans need to fight Donald Trump every step of the way. Cheney said her number one concern between now and Election Day is making certain Trump doesn't return to the Oval Office. Cheney has not endorsed any Republican candidates, including Haley. She has left the door open to voting for Biden and said she might consider a third-party bid because a third-party bid would offer an exit ramp for Republicans to vote for a conservative, but not Trump or Biden. As I said right before Iowa, if Trump wins New Hampshire and Iowa, the narrative will switch from Trump's self-immolation into what Trump is doing right I said, if he starts winning, all of a sudden we're going to be hearing he's doing it all right. And now Bloomberg reports that Trump's ground game is way more impressive than anyone could have guessed. While the media pays attention to Trump's temper tantrum, says Bloomberg, and his courtroom displays of unfettered rage, below the surface is a well-oiled get-out-the-vote machine that knows exactly what it's doing, learning from past mistakes back in 2016 and 2020. (sighs) Well, this is what the new narrative is. And conventional wisdom immediately has become that if Trump is allowed back inside the Oval Office, he will bring along with him a new crew, probably supplied by the Heritage Foundation's Project 2025, And we're told it's going to be a much savvier administration that learned from the first administration's mistakes, and they'll know how to hit the ground running with what Trump advisor Stephen Miller describes as a blitzkrieg with an efficiency that will leave those trying to stop Trump confused and unable to keep up. But here's the thing. He's a moron, and he surrounds himself with mental defects. Yes, he beat DeSantis, and he's going to beat Nikki Haley. They're mental defects. It's not that hard to win when you're fishing in a pool stocked with inbred moronic voters. That's who the Republican Party is. I don't care what the new narrative is. Trump is an idiot and a failure, and he only surrounds himself with bigger idiots and bigger failures and bigger mental defects. And even if he somehow is able to win back the White House, he will fail because that's all he's capable of doing, failing. Yes, people go, how does he stay out of prison? Because he's corrupt. He's a mobster. But he's a failure. And he's only stayed out of prison so far. He's not going to become dictator if he gets elected because he's too stupid and the people around him are too stupid and we won't let it happen. But it's nice to be scared into thinking Donald Trump could be a dictator. That way we don't have to focus on the really important stuff like climate disaster or Medicare for all. Again, I'm voting for Biden and I do think Donald Trump is very, very dangerous 
the media right now is normalizing him and trying to make Donald Trump look less like the idiot he actually is. The New York Times now reports that Trump's political strategists are brilliant. Brilliant. They sat back and allowed, as they say, Trump to be Trump because when Trump just freeforms on the campaign trail and stays away from the pitfalls of ideology, he revs up not just his own, but the entire Republican base. That's pretty much what the conventional wisdom is. What is astonishing, however, at least to me, is the 91 criminal indictments all work in his favor politically. There's no getting around this. The more trouble Donald Trump gets into with the law, the more not just his diehard supporters, but mainstream Republicans gravitate to him. That I don't understand. A new Reuters poll of 1,250 likely voters out this morning shows that if the election were held today, Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden by six percentage points. Okay, but what are the internals? 26% say they are undecided in that poll. So it means nothing. Now, I've said all along, there's a ceiling for Donald Trump within the Republican Party. He can't blow past 50% if he's opposed, if somebody's opposing him. Now, he got, what, 50% of the vote in Iowa around that? And he got, I think, 54% of the vote in New Hampshire, which was... New Hampshire was interesting. That was more of a national election than Iowa was. And New Hampshire is the closest we're going to see. That primary is the closest we're going to see to a national, something that looks like a national election until the actual national election, because New Hampshire is a slightly blue state. It reflects the political divide in America. Hillary won by five-tenths of a percentage point. And Joe Biden won by seven percentage points. New Hampshire kind of reflects America. And New Hampshire on Tuesday revealed the stark divide within the Republican Party, not just in America, but within the Republican Party. Haley got 43% of the vote. Now, how many Haley supporters will vote for Trump or stay home on Election Day? Or vote for Biden. A lot of them say if Haley doesn't get the nomination, they're going to vote for Biden. Trump has a ceiling. He always has had a ceiling. Now, if Haley drops out, then he'll start winning the rest of these primaries by incredible margins. But that doesn't matter anymore. Those margins won't mean anything because he's running unopposed. We saw in Iowa and New Hampshire, that when Republicans are offered an alternative to Donald Trump, he barely tops 50%. That's his ceiling within the Republican Party. So where's the other, gonna, where's the other half going to go on Election Day? No Democrats are voting for him. Republicans will be voting for Biden. No Democrats will be voting for Trump. And independents are either voting for Joe Biden or staying home on Election Day. This is the mop up for January 26, 2024. I'm David Feldman. Thank you for finding me. Please like this episode and subscribe. I want to remind you that this is an audio podcast. So take me with you on your next drive, the next time you go for a walk, or if you're helping a loved one cleaning up after them. Please listen to this as an audio podcast. And of course, like and share this episode so I remain in your feed. Please leave a comment so I can issue corrections. I read all your comments. And if I make a mistake, I will issue a correction. I have some corrections to make, but I just don't have time this week. Peter Navarro was Trump's White House economic advisor, who along with Steve Bannon, came up with a Green Bay sweep. That was a plan to flood the zone on January 6th. With so many challenges to swing state election returns that Mike Pence and Congress would spend days trying to certify the election, eventually turn it over to the Supreme Court, which would then throw it back into the House of Representatives 
to elect a president. And because of the way each state is weighted in such a process, Donald Trump would be reelected. The January 6th committee, therefore, subpoenaed both Navarro and Bannon to testify about their plan. They refused, and both men were found guilty in two separate jury trials of contempt of Congress and are in the process of appealing those rulings. On Thursday, Navarro, 74, who was found guilty of contempt back in September, was sentenced to four months in prison. Like I said, he's appealing that decision as well. He's been ordered to pay a $9,500 fine. In issuing his sentence Thursday, U.S. District Judge Ahmed P. Mehta instructed Navarro to stop claiming victimhood and stop claiming he is the target of a political prosecution. The Washington Post reports this morning that Bannon and Navarro could be the first in nearly 50 years to get sent to prison for defying a congressional subpoena. Navarro tried to make a statement on the courtroom steps. He really loves those courtroom step moments when he can lecture. You know, he's a Harvard grad. He likes to lecture. So after Thursday's ruling, he he went in front of a bank of microphones, but once again, protesters drowned him out with whistles and cowbells. They held up signs calling him a liar. It's just terrible. Take a listen. Happy to talk to some of the, uh, the print media inside so that we're not harassed by uh, these folks here. But again, the, the important issue here is the central constitutional issue about the separation of powers and the integrity of presidential decision making. And I have been taught in a battle between two competing branches of government, and um, this is this is uh, we're, we're about halfway to resolving this case. So I appreciate this. Um, I'm sorry for the video cameras that you can't get clean sound because of this but but this is what this is what has happened to this country and it's it's unfortunate that they won't respect my first amendment uh, rights here Mm. blowing whistles ringing cowbells i do not approve of that this is not how you fight fascism you have to be polite with fascists South Carolina Republican Congressman Ralph Norman told CNN Wednesday night that, yes, he did, in fact, send a text to Donald Trump's White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, three days before Joe Biden's inauguration, urging Meadows to instruct Donald Trump to declare martial law to keep Joe Biden from taking office. Asked if he had any regrets South Carolina Republican Congressman Ralph Norman said, yes, he's sorry he misspelled the word Marshall. If you saw the evidence entered to, into the January 6th committee, you'll see that he misspelled the word Marshall. That would be South Carolina Republican Congressman Ralph Norman, who told Mark Meadows that Donald Trump needs to declare martial law. Donald Trump testified briefly in the E. Jean Carroll trial on Thursday. Last year, a jury found Donald Trump civilly liable for raping Carroll and awarded her $5 million in damages for both the rape and defaming her after she went public with the charges. Immediately after losing that trial, Trump went on a CNN town hall and defamed E. Jean Carroll once again. And that's basically what this trial is all about. It's not about determining whether or not he raped or defamed her, but how much more he must pay her in damages. Before Trump took the stand, Judge Kaplan, please pay attention to this because I get a lot of pushback from Trump supporters on this. So please pay attention to this. Before Trump took the stand on Thursday, Judge Kaplan told the jury, quote, I have a few things to say. This is Judge Kaplan federal judge. He said to the jury, there was a trial last year about the truth or falsity of Ms. Carroll's claims. Mr. Trump was listed as a witness, 
but did not testify. That jury found for Ms. Carroll. There are no do-overs. It's called issue preclusion or collateral estoppel. The ju- this is all Judge Kaplan. The jury found that Mr. Trump, if there are any uh, children listening, uh, if you're under the age of 18, uh, uh, if, you're par- I, if, you're par- if you are a parent, please ask your child uh, either to leave the room or turn up the volume, depending on how you're raising your children. This is what Judge Kaplan said. Please pay attention to this because I'm sick of responding to Trump supporters. Judge Kaplan said the jury, quote, the jury found that Mr. Trump inserted his fingers into her. I won't say the word. You know what I'm talking about. He went on to say, and that Ms. Carroll did not make up her claim and that Mr. Trump's June 11th and June 22nd statements were defamatory. Defamatory. Now, Mr. Trump may not make any argument against this, unquote. Now, he has written several times that Donald Trump raped E. Jean Carroll. Now, E. Jean Carroll insists that Donald Trump inserted his more than his finger into her. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's his finger or his Mother Jones magazine. Please pay attention to this. If you, I know we have some Trump people who listen to this show. Please pay attention to this, okay? Mother Jones magazine reports that in a federal civil suit such as this, this is a federal trial, rape is defined as penetration no matter, this is a quote, penetration, no matter how slight, of the one of two places, with any body part or object, or oral penetration by a sex organ of another person without the consent of the victim. Okay? Without the consent of the victim. Unquote. In other words... In a federal civil trial, rape is any penetration without consent involving anything. A finger, a you-know-what, or an inanimate object. That is how rape is defined in a civil courtroom, which is why the judge has written three times that a jury found Donald Trump guilty of rape in common law parlance. Why is it so hard for Trump supporters to get that through their skulls? The law is the law, and that's how rape is defined. Most rapists uh, are incapable of becoming tumescent, so they need something else it's still rape i can't believe i'm talking about a former president of the united states and that his supporters are too stupid to know what the definition of rape is the testimony was scheduled earlier this week but had to be delayed after donald trump's attorney alina haba seized on one of the jurors' concerns that they had contracted COVID. And she then said, well, I I think I might have been exposed to COVID as well. Let's postpone the trial. So the trial was postponed until yesterday. But Haba, who was so concerned about COVID, the next night was seen maskless parting it up in New Hampshire after her client won the primary. She thought she had COVID, but she made it up to New Hampshire for the big party. During his three-minute testimony on Thursday, Trump was angry. 
afterwards, after his testimony, he stormed out of the courtroom, repeatedly muttering, this is not America. This is not America. Judge Lewis Kaplan angrily reprimanded Trump several times while Trump, while Trump sat in the courtroom waiting to take the stand. Trump reportedly heckled Judge Kaplan while the judge was engaged in a sidebar with lawyers. Speaking of E. Jean Carroll, to no one in particular, Trump blurted out, I never met her, I've never seen her before, unquote. That's defamatory. The judge then angrily ordered Trump to keep his voice down. Trump shouted back, unbelievable, and then screamed unbelievable again when the judge told Trump his denials of raping E. Jean Carroll must be struck from the record because a previous jury had already determined that Donald Trump had, in fact, raped E. Jean Carroll, and this jury is only asked to determine the financial damages. Closing arguments in the trial are scheduled for later today. I don't know. You know, uh, I've been... Several platforms don't like me using the word rape, and I've been notified. Uh, so I, I think this story is so grotesque and offensive that people don't really know that Donald Trump was found guilty of rape. Because when you have to explain what the definition of rape is, I think corporate media gets queasy about the particulars. Although they didn't when Donald, uh, when uh, Bill Clinton lied about oral sex with Monica Lewinsky. When Bill Clinton was president, all of a sudden you could say blowjob on national television. Mediate reports that the night before his testimony, Trump took to social media with 37 separate posts attacking E. Jean Carroll. He posted a screenshot of E. Jean Carroll, one of her tweets, where she said she'd like to be on The Apprentice. Well, obviously, then he's innocent. He then posted a clip of an interview that E. Jean Carroll did with Anderson Cooper, during which E. Jean Carroll said Trump's attack on her, quote, was not sexual, unquote. That's what Trump tweeted to his followers, that E. Jean Carroll said his attack on her was not sexual. Rape is not sex. There's nothing sexual about rape. But his idiot followers and Trump think Rape is sex. It has nothing to do with sex. It's the opposite of sex. Well, the Daily Express, I can't believe I have to explain this to some people. The Daily Express reports this morning that Melania Trump has told her closest friends she has no interest in returning to the White House, serving as Donald Trump's first lady. Odd. Did he do something to embarrass you, Melania? What? Was it the sex with that porn star right after you gave birth to a son? Was that it? Or that sex with the Playboy playmate after you gave birth to a son? Or was it a jury finding your husband guilty of rape? Could that, could that be... Or maybe it's the 30 credible sexual assault allegations made against your husband. Or perhaps it's the stench of deep-fried skunk feces on your cheeks every time he kisses you. That's how I describe Donald Trump's odor. Or at least his breath. Smells like deep-fried skunk feces. 
Meanwhile, Judge Arthur Angoran, who presided over New York State's civil fraud trial in which Trump has already been found guilty of defrauding banks and insurers, he is expected, Judge Angoran is expected to issue a written ruling by January 31st on how much Trump will have to pay in fines. Judge Angoran has already ruled that the Trump Organization in New York State must be dissolved and all his New York properties, including Trump Tower and 40 Wall Street, must be turned over to liquidators. Trump is appealing that decision and will no doubt appeal whatever Judge Angoran rules later this month. Mar-a-Lago is worth $20 million. You know, People keep writing it. He could sell it for half a billion. No, he can't. He's been collecting. Uh, uh, it's been appraised at twenty million because it's it's part of a historical preservation, and you can't sell it. It's like saying Central Park is worth twelve trillion dollars. Yeah, but you can't sell it. He's not allowed to sell Mar-a-Lago. It's impossible to sell Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, if, if, if there weren't certain uh, agreements that were made in order for him to pay a lot less in taxes, then maybe he could subdivide it, but he's not allowed to. So it's only worth $20 million. I don't know why that's so hard for these idiots to understand. Linda McMahon served as Donald Trump's head of the Small Business Association when he was president. She also served as a big fundraiser for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020. Her husband is Vince McMahon, who, along with Linda, founded World Wrestling Entertainment. Vince McMahon was sued on Thursday by by a former female employee accusing him of abuse and sex trafficking. The lawsuit charges McMahon made the plaintiff's employment predicated upon a sexual relationship that eventually turned into physical and emotional abuse. This is one of Donald Trump's friends. The plaintiff said she was sexually assaulted by McMahon inside the WWE offices and that employees knew it was going on but did nothing to stop it. She was fired back in 2022 when Linda McMahon, who served as Donald Trump's small business administrator, learned of her husband's so-called relationship with the woman. That was the same year Vince McMahon was forced to leave WWE after the Wall Street Journal reported that Vince McMahon paid four women a total of $12 million to remain silent about his sexual misconduct at the office. McMahon, however, is still the majority shareholder in WWE and, according to a recent regulatory finding, still exerts full control over how his company conducts its affairs. Netflix announced on Wednesday that it just paid WWE $5 billion for the rights to live stream its wrestling events. It's doing business with Vince McMahon. I looked at the complaint filed by the plaintiffs. Uh, Janelle Grant is the plaintiff. Her lawyers filed this complaint in the United States District Court for the District of Connecticut. I forgot to mention, and you can read along with me, that the plaintiff in the lawsuit accuses Vince McMahon of defecating on her head in the middle of a sexual encounter and forced her to continue pleasuring his male buddy with the feces still in her hair while he went off to the bathroom to shower off. Let's read the complaint. As one example of McMahon's extreme depravity on May 9th, 2020, he defecated on Ms. Grant during a threesome and then commanded her to continue pleasuring his friend with feces in her hair and running down her back. That sounds like the lyrics to a Paul Simon song, with feces in her hair and running down her back, while McMahon went to the bathroom to shower off. Upon his return from the bathroom, Vince McMahon and his quote-unquote friend actively resumed the threesome, which lasted over an hour and a half, 
while Ms. Grant remained covered in McMahon's filth. When McMahon's friend left, McMahon ordered her to stay and to continue to sexually gratify him. Case uh, you forgot, Linda McMahon, Vince's wife, served in the Trump administration as head of the Small Business Administration, and Trump is still friendly with Vince McMahon. Steve Sato, Trump's lawyer in the Fulton County RICO trial, charging the ex-president with trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election in that state, says he didn't appreciate Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis's 35-minute speech at a historically black church two weeks ago when she was commemorating Martin Luther King's birthday. In her speech, the district attorney said that ever since she indicted Donald Trump, she's been called the N-word more times than she has been called Fonny. Trump's lawyers filed a motion with the judge in that case to have the charges dropped and Fonny Willis disqualified for poisoning potential jurors by, quote, fomenting racial bias, unquote, with her speech. This woman... And her staffers, they have round-the-clock security because Donald Trump's goons keep threatening to kill her while at the same time dropping racial epithets in emails, texts, and phone messages. Donald Trump repeatedly accuses her of hating white people, but it's Fawny Willis who is fomenting racial bias. The name of Trump's lawyer is Steve Sado. S-A-D-O-W. Everybody's entitled to an attorney in the United States. And, but Steve Sado was not forced to be Donald Trump's attorney. You know, if there was enough honor in the legal business, he'd have to rely on a public defender. Instead, he has Steve Sado, S-A-D-O-W, as his attorney. Remember that name. Steve Sado. Remember that name. Remember Alan Dershowitz? Donald Trump hired him to defend him during the impeachment. Politico reports that Donald Trump's Washington, D.C. election interference trial scheduled for March 4th is probably going to be delayed until at least mid-April. Politico says it, it drew that conclusion by looking at the presiding judge's docket. Judge Tanya Chutkin has scheduled another trial for March, suggesting she believes Trump's appeal on her presidential immunity decision won't be resolved by the Supreme Court until after March. Trump's lawyers asked her to throw the case out, if you remember, insisting a president can't be indicted after he leaves office because he has absolute immunity. Absolute immunity. She, of course, rejected the motion telling Trump's attorneys that in America, presidents don't have the divine rights of kings. Now, knowing Trump's lawyers would appeal, special counsel Jack Smith immediately filed a motion with our Supreme Court to leapfrog over the appeals courts and issue an opinion on a president's absolute immunity so the trial could continue on schedule. But the Supreme Court said the motion has to go through the normal appeals process. A panel of three judges sitting on the Washington, D.C. Circuit Court heard oral arguments in early January about President Trump's absolute immunity, and they expressed skepticism. They, they said they don't think a president is immune from prosecution after he leaves office, but they have yet to issue their ruling, which will then be brought before the Supreme Court by whichever side loses. The Wall Street Journal reports this morning that Trump's lawyers are succeeding in delaying all four criminal trials and denying prosecutors what the journal calls a knockout blow to Donald Trump. The Wall Street Journal reports it is conceivable that all four criminal trials 
might be delayed with no resolution until after the November election. Polling in New Hampshire revealed that a not-so-insignificant number of Republicans who say they're going to vote for Trump also said they wouldn't vote for him if he was convicted in any of those four criminal trials. But now the Wall Street Journal says we may not see any convictions before they cast their ballots because Trump's lawyers are working the appeal system, delay, 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 creating one roadblock after another to prevent a quick and speedy trial. Donald Trump is not smart. He is a gangster. He's a mobster. And any student of the mafia knows it never ends well for these guys. It never ends well. Doesn't end well for the mobsters or sometimes the guys who prosecute them. Right, Rudy Giuliani? (laughs) I believe... That is a picture of Rudy in a soup kitchen taking advantage of the early bird special. CNBC reports that Rudy Giuliani has only been able to raise $1 million for his legal defense. And it all came from 13 donors. Remember those two fundraisers for Rudy at Trump's Bedminster, New Jersey golf club? Remember that? Trump was charging $100,000 a plate to raise money for Rudy Giuliani. None of it made it to Rudy. He's raised a million dollars and it came from 13 donors who had nothing to do with the fundraisers at the Bedminster Country Club. Where'd that money go? Where'd that money go? I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Thank you for joining me this morning. Uh, Please share this with your friends. Please like this episode so I remain in your feed. Please subscribe to my newsletter and my channel. Please be nice to everyone. Please be nice to everybody. And uh, don't be as angry as I am today. I'm pissed off today. Thank you to Bob in the chat room for keeping the conversation civil. And I'll see everybody Saturday night. I'm going to take tomorrow off, go touch a tree, and then come back Saturday. Maybe I'll, I won't be so angry. 